welcome gang all right so as you guys have probably heard my intros have been kind of subpar to this at this point so i'm going to try and do a better job of doing the intros it's not my favorite part of the show but um, i'm actually going to kind of be a little bit prepared so uh, this week we're going to be talking about one of my favorite things so it's a good week that i came prepared uh cannabis so my guest is cole rydalch who's a former electrical technician at one of the largest cannabis distribution centers in the Pacific Northwest. Um, So yeah, so he used to work uh, for this company. So we talk a lot about the company and all that stuff. Um, We talk about the process behind the legal cannabis industry, the stigmas behind it. Um, We got into a lot of the behind the scenes stuff. So if you're interested in cannabis before or or, um, if you're interested in, you know, learning a little bit more, this is the episode to get into. But I've told you bitches before, this is not a cannabis podcast. It's the itty bitty podcast. It's anything but, and it starts now. Welcome to the itty bitty podcast. Oh, oh, it's the itty bitty podcast. guest this week. I'm very excited this week because we're going to talk about weed and it's one of my favorite things in the world to talk about. So former electrical technician for one of, if not the largest cannabis distributors in the Pacific Northwest. Hey, I didn't fuck it up. Uh, my friend Cole, but I will fuck up your last name. Oh yeah. No, you're fine. Rydalch. Rydalch. Cole Rydalch. So very good to have you on the itty bitty podcast. Uh, it's been a while since I've seen you. Yeah, a long time, man. It's good to be. So, you're no longer in the weed game. No. The legal weed game. Correct. Yeah. Um, so, what are you, you said that we talked a little bit before this, but w- how did you kind of want to start? Did you want to get into what you're doing now or what, where you started in the weed no, game? No, I would like to kind of give a background to where I came in, uh, being a person that started in the industry at the very beginning and worked all the way basically to the top. I Are mean, you talking about like the beginning medical or rec- medical or recreational? Recreational, okay. Specifically. And, and I think that that's important because the separation between medical and recreation is very big when you talk about divides in how people use cannabis. Right. Um, for Washington State, uh, Northwest Cannabis Solutions, the company I worked for, is was not only the first one, but one of the largest and still probably one of the largest producers in the state. Um, one of the things that they had going for them was overhead. Um, you know, the, uh, the owner of the, of Northwest cannabis solutions is the son of, um, one of the largest Russian shipping container conglomerates in the world. Okay. And so when you have that kind of overhead getting investors to come in and I mean, we had, uh, Drew Carey, a picture with my boss, Rob uh, Bonobi, with Drew Carey in the farm and wow. a professional basketball player. And it's probably one of my favorite pictures that I ever saw in there. But they had it's an interesting yeah, photo. They, I mean, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and the funny thing is, is like uh, if you watch uh, This Is Not Happening and Drew Carey's specific stand up, mm-hmm. he talks about going to EDC and saying that, oh, I don't use drugs because, you know, I have to be the face of prices. Right. right. When clearly he, he has a picture with my boss at the farm. So I feel like I've seen other pictures of him at like festivals 
festivals and shit too. Oh yeah, I mean, and yeah. he's a fun guy. And yeah. you know what? If you're making fuck you money, I when mean, when are they gonna bring the Drew Carey show back? <laughs> that was one of my favorite shows. I mean, you know, when the Price Is Right is dead, so well, no, never. I mean, like as far as Netflix, like it's not on streaming oh, yeah. anywhere. You can't find it anywhere. I mean, with his morning job, I don't know if he would be able to do it. But I mean, I, I know that the guy works hard, but he obviously has weekends off. So no, I mean, I'm just talking about like the old. Oh, just the, we'll put the old the show up on streaming anyway. yeah. no no the oh. drew carey show you never watched the drew carey no, show no never oh dude you're missing out that's why they need to put it on streaming he had a, a show as a sitcom and it was like based on him at, at like a work like you know in a real life job and uh he had different like kooky co-workers and friends and one of his co-workers was this lady named mimi and she was a heavier lady and she wore a shit ton of makeup <laughs> And so I went as her for one year for Halloween, but uh, it was a good show. It was a really good show. The One of the late night hosts on there, what was it? The Craig Ferguson, is that his name? Yeah, I think so. He was on there as like the boss. And so, yeah, they need to put that on streaming. Sorry, I just got sidetracked. No, no, you're fine. I th- Drew Carey. He, Drew Carey should. hanging out at the farm. I mean, dude, Netflix money, you might as well take it while, while it's an right? opportunity for you. And then you'd be film. able to see it. I guarantee you'd love it. And you know what? I think that's the nice thing about Netflix is, is it gets you to watch things that you would ne- usually never watch. Right. And so when you, when you streamline that service, there's always a benefit from money and Netflix right. is always going to be picking up anything that's not Disney because they're creating their, you know, Disney plus service. I'll circle back to Netflix. I don't want to get too off the topic of your story, but I do want to ask you about a Netflix documentary that pertains to this show, oh, okay. this episode. So we'll, we'll circle back to that. But, okay. So uh, Drew Carey's hanging out, not getting stoned because he's the Price Right host. Correct. Okay. Yeah, essentially. Okay. <laughs> right. um, well, okay. So for me... You know, after I left Verizon with you, I was looking for new job opportunities and I was probably out of work for like a month because I just didn't want to work there anymore. I love Tyler to death, right. but it, it, it wasn't for me. Right. And I I looked at opportunities and Brittany Gonzalez, who was a friend of my brother's in high school, um, is dating one of the owners. And so she was working at the front office and I dropped off my resume and she's like, oh, okay, yeah, come in. And I applied and I got the job and I was thrilled because I didn't know what they were looking for. You know, I just wanted a job. I just needed money. And uh, they started me on the line, essentially. And the line uh, in packaging was anything from rolling joints, uh, weighing grams of oil. Uh, I was weighing anything from, you know, we would usually start weighing eighths first because that was probably more common than some. They don't really usually sell bigger packages other than eighths because, you know, that's where your price point is. You know, if you can sell a gram for $10 or sell an eighth for, you know, on average, anywhere from 25 to $35 right. in the state of Washington, um, you know, you want to hit that market price point. And for them, they were undercutting a lot of their competitors and mm. they, and they still do. Right. And that's why when 420, uh, Carpenter West, um, you know, uh, capital, uh, those, those are dispensaries. Yeah. Oh, and they're one of the big, they're know. one of the biggest dispensaries right. in, uh, Thurston County. Yeah. And they actually about my weed. Yeah, exactly. It's the cheapest, you know. Yeah. And that was one of the things that 420 had going for them is they were able to supply more at a lower cost than all their competitors and they still do. Right. And that's why they're huge now. Um but I don't know if they're technically separate entities. I think they have to be, but I'm pretty sure they're in cahoots with each other. I mean, it's just since they were starting up. Right. And especially cuz their their main Northwest Cannabis Solutions factory is in Tumwater. 
Okay. So when uh, uh, 420 West came out, which is basically an Olympia, that was the first one. It was so big that they immediately had Carpenter. And then Carpenter blew up, and they just had so much money that they bought up the place right on Capitol Boulevard. Right. And so now they've got this trifecta that if you're in Lacey, if you're in Olympia, if you're in Tumwater, you're going to be able to buy from 420. And so they, they grew exponentially from there. Yeah. I mean, it, it blinked much like Bud. Right. And, uh, and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about is – you know, I kind of got tired of rolling joints all day. I mean, it's it's lugubrious work, and it's fun when you're doing it for yourself, but doing oh, it yeah. for other people, and the people it gets that work, exhausting. Yeah, and for the people that work there, they were all very chill. Right. I mean, you'd come in uh, like five forty-five in the morning. I mean, you were there bright and early, and just immediately wang bud. You know, sifting through bud. And so, when you're rolling joints, is that like are you using shake so, or what? Well, it. it they kind of mix things up to, and at the time, you know, that was their experimentation. And okay. so they had machines that essentially they were like carafes that okay. had about 120 singlets of, you know, we would load them up with paper and okay. then they would basically put shake or equivalent to that um, and just dump it all in there and tap it down so that they're pretty much all filled, ready to go. Oh, okay. So you don't have to like so individually then, roll them. Well, yeah, correct. I mean, and they, they tried individually rolling them, but I mean, that just took way too much time. Right. And so when you can preload 120 and you're selling them in packs of maybe five or most of the time individual right. joints, um, again, price point average, uh, you know, I mean, basically all you had to do was twist the tips and that's where they actually had their signature twist tip right the joint roll and so and they found out that i mean well the re- reality is is that any shake joint is the way that they pack them they pack them so fat they usually try to put anywhere from a half gram to a whole gram inside the joints mostly oh, and they okay. usually they usually weigh about 0.8 but anything more than a half gram was the way that the state was going to take it essentially right. and um i mean you just sit there twisting tips for a couple of hours and you'd get like a 15 minute break and you had to be there in 15 minutes. I mean, it was run like a prison, you know? Oh shit. Yeah. Oh. And I mean, it was, it was fun, you know, like but a as, prison. correct. And everybody's making minimum wage. I mean, just barely minimum wage. Right. I mean, most people, I they started everybody at $12 an hour. And after working my way up all the way to electrical technician, at the end of a year and a half, they finally gave me a raise of 50 cents. And oh, shit. Make more t- money selling that shit illegally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's... I, I would love to be able to talk about it on another podcast. Maybe not illegally, but growing at home in the state of Washington right. versus what people who want to do medical can do. Right. And I've studied a lot about that because, I mean, honestly, I watched people who worked in the industry with me grow at their own house and produce more than enough bud from themselves that they were able to just sell it to their buddies. I mean, obviously that's black markets under the table. It's illegal, right. but I mean, it was illegal before it was legal and here we are now. Right. So, um, so anyway, an opportunity presented itself to okay. me. I had been there for about six months at the time. I'd kind of been tired of, you know, coming in every day and, you know, busting my ass until like 3 p.m., which was eight hours, but it was right. like a very hard manual labor hour. Especially getting up that early. Yeah, I mean, most of the time you weren't able to get a seat. They had like eight chairs out there for 20 people. Oh, so shit. if you were Musical a girl, chairs. basically, you got the chair. Right. And so um, and most of the time you're sitting there, you're standing on your feet for like eight hours and really working hard because they, they monitored the amount that you were producing. Right. And, 
some people talk about like machines, like for, you know, what's the difference between a machine versus a human production? Well, when you take a look at costs of machines, yes, they might be efficient in a sense that one machine could do the work of 10 people. Right. But when you're constantly having to repair the machine and the machine costs, you know, $500,000 cause it's custom made, uh, you know, you, when you're looking at paying people $12 an hour minimum wage and they're easily replaceable and you can pretty much find anybody and want to keep people that actually do produce a quite a bit. Right. Um, it's always the, the, the people advantage is always going to outweigh the machines. In fact, uh, when they were doing weighing oil initially, there was a machine that would do it, but it would clog up like every 15 minutes mm. because, uh, you know, oil, uh, THC oil is a non-Newtonian fluid. So what does that mean? A non-Newtonian fluid essentially means that it's a non, I mean, it is water-based, but it's non not water-soluble. That's why when cleaning out your bong or cleaning out your dab rig, especially your dab rig, you get a lot of resin. And right. that's because no matter how much water and soap you use, because it's non-Newtonian, you're going to have to have something to break down uh, the actual organic THC oil resin, resin that's left right. behind. And that's why um, always, I mean isopropyl alcohol everywhere mm. and i mean i i remember moving in vats like giant 50 gallon drums of isopropyl alcohol that we would use to clean everything so when we got when we had our first party i was so thrilled because they would you know like once a quarter essentially throw us a bone and right. have an event where we would go and smoke weed with all the owners and at beer pong and it was great i mean it was the coolest party ever right until you realize that half of these people are kind of degenerates and you, people that are you know alcoholics right you, fuck, you turn around you DUI fucking convictions. Gone. Like, yeah Shit. <laughs> yeah and you know people that work in the weed industry i'm not ra- raging anything against them or anything but a majority of them are people over 30 that have records you know uh con- criminal past that they can get a job in there. And so it provides a lot of work to people that wouldn't necessarily be able to get some other right. jobs that require a drug test. Um, you know, uh, they have a extensive criminal past that are trying to redo themselves. And that's why it is the labor wage that it is, right. you know, and, uh, I had, I had a great time. I had lots of really good friends with them, but I remember, uh, Devin and he's going to hate me for saying this, but he came up to me one day and he's, he's the lead singer of a death band. And so, you know, he had gauges and everything. And he's like, dude, I'm going to go get some face tattoos. And I was like, you're going to regret that. Well, a year and a half later, when we're both not working there, he can't get a job anymore. So, mm, you know, right. we're all a victim of our own life choices. Right. But, you know, when you get a coffin and a crown, state, you know, tattooed to your forehead, <laughs> it's going to be kind of hard for anyone to hire you. Yeah, I'd imagine so. <laughs> so an opportunity presented itself with the company and they said, you know, when an opportunity presents yourself, I was listening to my boss, Cody Ripley, and he was a great boss and he was managing all the people, very chill guy, uh, just a couple years older than me. And his boss, um, uh, Joe Everson, uh, who were both great guys. Uh, Joe looked like a cage fighter. I mean, he, he essentially was a UFC fighter essentially, and not somebody to be messed with. And right. that's why it was easy to have the liaison of Cody between all the people that were working there. And they told me, you know, an opportunity will present yourself. You just have to pay attention to it. And that's what happened is uh, essentially they opened up a new factory up by the uh, nuclear silos over in Elma. So if you know where that road is up there, where the uh, decommissioned nuclear sites are. Oh, okay. Um, um, the power plants, essentially yeah, decommissioned nuclear power plants. from the road, yeah. They're, that's where their second factory was. And they 
they didn't name it for a while, but it was called seven point holdings. And so when I put it on my resume, I put it on a seven point holdings because there was nothing that anybody could backtrack it to. But now if you Google seven point holdings, it says marijuana, 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 oh, everything. Yeah, Google. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, fuck, you know? And that was another thing too, is, is it, it from future jobs, it basically disabled you from being able to apply because right. anything that requires you to drive a forklift, anything, uh, driving vehicles, heavy machinery, you're going to get x because they know that you, at some point, you probably smoked weed. Right. That's just the reality. And, I mean, even just being in the building, I feel like you could get a contact high. But most of these people were smoking before they came into work on our lunch break and after work, too. You know, That's I mean, right. and it was, you know, for them it was lax because, you know, smoking cannabis can actually you know, make pain go away. People right. use it as a pain reliever. And so when your heels hurt, when your ass hurts, when you're standing there and your knees hurt and all that stuff, it was a great way for you to be able to get by because again, you're doing minimum wage labor. And so the opportunity, I keep on kind of skipping over the point, but the opportunity that presented itself is that they were opening up over there. Okay. And it was a huge, just production farm, solely production. Um, at the establishment in Tumwater, it's both it's packaging and production which is kind of hard and you realize that you have to keep those buildings separate because the product that you produce can constantly be infected by the people that are coming in and doing packaging. And I, I mean, apologize. My dog farted. No, you're fine. Oh God, Dexter. He's <laughs> a good boy though. Jeez, you might have to go in the other room, dude. Oh, oh God. Fine. Sorry. I apologize for no, that. You're fine. Anywho, so they opened up the farm and they were having people come over working the night shift. So I would work in the daytime from six to two and then in the night shift, you could go over and work nights to basically trim clones. So now what clones were, were essentially, um, clippings of plants that you basically, you know, cut off stem or, you know, leaves, you know, sugar leaves of other plants that have a good, um, bicross essentially in the middle of it, like a, like a kind of like a slingshot okay do they say i know in like when i had my medical card in california um they sold clones that you could buy do they sell clones out here uh i don't i don't don't believe so yeah and i think that that's a great opportunity for a business especially if you're looking at home production but the problem is is you're gonna have the dea all over your ass right because then anybody can buy a clone and drive it over state lines as long as they can keep it alive which would be kind of hard to do but if they can keep it alive then you can take it anywhere right and so for a lot of people it's just selling aquaponics now what we used at um seven point holdings was aeroponics, which okay. essentially means that you have like a little, um, circular disc that's styrofoam that you would put the clone in. Okay. And underneath of it was a spray nozzle that would, uh, basically mist water. And because it was such a light and separated effectiveness, the amount of water that was constantly being cycled in the drain pan would constantly relatively be fresh and you would change the water out every day. Okay. And that would help prevent against uh, diseases, uh, bugs, and they would grow. They would start to root and they would reach into the water and start to absorb more water. And once they finally rooted, uh, the clones would then be tra- uh, transferred over into our grow house, okay. our, our production baby field, essentially, right. where there was a bunch of racks that was horribly designed. But basically, it, you could stack three rows of plants about eight, you know, Costco sized, uh, um, you know, little storage units wide in this giant room with a ton of lights. And 
when you think about water and light production for these companies, that's again where the overhead comes in. Right. It's a lot of money you know, to do that. Yeah. I mean, you know, water costs are relatively low. Electricity costs are relatively low. Yeah. But when you're using eight times the amount of water per section of plants that a normal household uses. Right. I mean, they had an electric bill that was $500,000 a month. Because there was... 21 rooms right and 19 of them were full plants and i feel like i remember hearing about back before like weed was legal and shit i feel like i remember hearing something about people getting busted for like their big spikes in their electric bill and yeah well and nowadays they can just use the police helicopters if the you know district can afford it to basically just drive over your house with an infrared camera and right. just I was see, the say, heat production. see the heat production too but i thought uh, i might have been like too speaking out of line and too high for saying that but that is a thing right no it okay. is <laughs> and, and the reason why is because metal highlight and hps light bulbs produce an incredible amount of heat okay but they're really shitty at producing lumens right. um, light essentially and oh, sorry i didn't hear ovens going off oh, it's, it's just dishwasher. Oh, dishwasher shit my bad. thanks dishes anyway I told uh, my wife to finish the dishes before the podcast no i'm just a- kidding <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um so you know uh, again getting back to what we were doing is is when we made the clones you know you basically had to prepare these tubs that were probably big enough to fit two or three bodies into easily okay i mean and that's a horrible right. way of measuring it but i mean imagine a giant that could be a good unit of measurement yeah. A giant plastic tub, tub that was probably two or three bodies easily fitting into it without having to <laughs> chop them up. And about 10 plants with a cocoa mixture. Now, what cocoa is, is essentially uh, coconut husks. Okay, I was going to ask cocoa, like, so coconut husks? Yeah, well, they call it cocoa because it's, you know, their branding of essentially their own mixture. But right. the reason that they use cocoa is because um, coconut husks do not retain water very well. Okay. Which is a good thing. Um in a sense that you want it to be mostly soil. I mean, but the soil is essentially a mixture of the coconut husks, like 50% coconut husks, uh, clam and oyster shells, crab shells, okay. a couple of different nitrates, and all of these um, different um, fertilizers. It's like compost? Yeah. Okay. Um, that you can use in your house. And when you're watering it every day, the plant will absorb as much water as it can from it. And the rest of it will basically drain to the bottom. Okay. So we would bring them over the giant grates and basically drain the excess water out of the bottom. And that was a good way to keep the water fresh, but also eliminate anything that was growing that, that wouldn't work well in it. Like stagnant water, does that? Yeah. Okay. And stagnant water will uh, start to uh, accumulate bacteria, right. which can lead to viruses and diseases. And um, one of most of them is like a black spot disease. And I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but essentially it starts to spot the plants, but it can spread very rapidly. And it, it starts basically from having the roots being too soggy. In right. fact, we actually had to fire or they fired one of the leads above me and who was a great cannabis producer. I, I can't remember his name right now, but I'll, I'll make sure to send the links in for you. But, um, it wasn't even his fault, but basically he killed like, essentially 120 clones Ooh, on accident but Maybe you know you shouldn't look up his name <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't even his fault i mean right. it was it was so accidental that it could have happened to anybody but when you're talking about 120 plants you know each plant can produce approximately ten thousand dollars yeah so i mean you know you can do the numbers it's right. one hundred twenty thousand dollars worth of product yeah. i just lost and do you have insurance for shit like that 
Oh, well, I mean, if you're an insurance agent, I can't imagine that that would ever be a good investment. And so, yeah. And the banks won't really touch cannabis well, well, they, or are they doing it more now? They can now. And they're one of the things that the cannabis com- companies have been able to do because there's been such a huge billion dollar influx is they've been able to create their own banks essentially oh, okay. and their own insurance programs so that they can oh, nice. have it. And so I would, I would assume that they're probably going to try and insure themselves, but right. you know, basically it comes down to that. If you're the producer, you're on your own. Right. And that's where that, again, the overhead comes in. And, um, uh, so anyway, seven point holding is officially opened up. Okay. Now, when I would walk into work in the morning, I had to use a key card twice to get into the building once to open, get into the main door. And the second time when I went through the hyperbaric chamber to check in and there was like a door that you would get in and it would blow you off and you know, deionize you. And, Oh yeah, I was sick. It was like working for the <laughs> FBI. I thought it was the coolest shit ever. And, um, you know, there, there was a little break room upstairs and my boss's office, Rob, Rob's office and Vasily. And I love Vasily to death, but, you know, he was there strictly on business and his brother was the manager of the other one, you know, again, all family. And, uh, you know, every day he was there from, you know, probably five in the morning until eight o'clock at night easily. And, you know, had to make emergency calls and I was on right. call too, because, you know, if a bunch of lights go down in a section, you got to figure it the right. fuck out. And so I started trimming clones and then when we finally started producing the cocoa, we had to fill God, probably about 1200 tubs worth of this mixture. So yeah, imagine a giant auger, which is a giant machine that basically churns up the soil of everything that we were putting in there. Um, you know, and like a mixer or something. Yeah. Oh, it was huge. And it was scary as hell because I mean, two people had to stand on top of it and poke around in it with these giant claws that are churning it with metal. (laughs) And so if you fall into it, you're dead instantly. I mean, shredded to pieces. And it was not a safe environment because right. when we were bringing the tubs in after we had to make them in the summertime, which was awful, but I got a little something on that too. But when we made all the tubs and officially made them, we would bring them inside and we would use giant propane blow torches. I mean, if you, if you look at this torch, imagine one, like probably at least, you know, with a giant propane tank, right? Like a flamethrower. <laughs> it was huge. I mean, it was the flame hole was basically about the size of a hockey right. puck and it would blow out about five feet wide and we were melting these tubs so that they would stay a certain way. And so, yeah. So the, the initial labor was awful. Right. And so I was like, dude, this, this fucking sucks. In fact, I forgot to bring my badge in that has my picture on it, but they, they brought me in to finally take a picture from my ID card on the day that we were mixing all the fucking dirt and I was hating my life. And they're like, smile for the camera. And I was like, fuck you. (laughs) Um, but once we finally got that done and we finally had plants in the tubs and there were plants in the rooms and there was 18 rooms full of plants, you, you got to watch it grow. I mean, it was really cool. You'd come in every day and there's like, oh, maybe a little bit of growth. And then in the next week you would come in and they were twice the size because the, the, everything that we had in there was in, in the, the composite mixture was so big that they basically turned these plants, which have like a 32 week life cycle into a 16 weeks life oh, cycle. Shit. Yeah. Cut it in half. I mean, right. You know, it's just making it efficient. Right. Uh, just like any farm there, that's where their money is, is in time. And that's without having to put like well, steroids and shit in there. Well, yeah. And a lot of people want to talk about, um, pesticides that they put in these things. And I think that people way overanalyze what pesticides do to it. I never really worry about that shit. Well, and you know, spray on pesticides like roundup. Yeah. 
oh, that absolutely will give you cancer. Right. I mean, it's it's right. linked to uh, like Hodgkin's lymphoma or non-Hodgkin's lymphoma for glyphosate, but they never used any of that. Um, the the pesticides that they would use essentially were uh, water based. So oh, okay. it would go into the irrigation system, right. and when they would, when it was time to water the plants, everything that was going in, the water would contain traces of ammonia, traces of things that are chemicals for cleaning the pipes and making sure that they stay clean. Right. Because a majority of problems will come from your AC as opposed to, uh, you know, root rot. Right. And uh, so it came time, and Vasily was like, Cole, you've been here a really long time. You've been working here a long time. I'm, and he was serious. Oh God, I thought he was going to kill me. I mean, he, I mean, he's just a big Russian guy. Looked like the mafia. Right. Know, didn't want to, didn't want to ever make him mad. He's like, I need you to start working with Rob because Rob is 60 and he needs a hand. And I had no idea what Rob was doing at first. Right. But basically it was one of the highest positions in the company being the assistant to the electrical technician of the facility. Oh shit. So every day. I would do my rounds of the breakers to make sure that there was no breakers tripped, uh, to make sure that the rooms were fine, that the plants looked good, that there wasn't a major problem. Every morning I would do my rounds. And then the rest of the day was me spending the time replacing light bulbs and cleaning out HVA units or HVAC units so big that they're bigger than a VW bus. Oh, shit. And when you think about an HVAC use HVAC unit for a house, you know, you're thinking a water heater and it's probably three times bigger than your normal water heater. And most HVAC units only have one uh, motor cranking, essentially, to keep it going. There was two in each of these units. They were so big. And so every day I would go in, make sure that the straps weren't wrapping and that wasn't making too much noise. And they were state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line HVAC units, and they probably had to cost $28,000 a piece easily. Uh, I mean, they're just, yeah. And you had to monitor them. Right. Essentially, in the bottom of the drain pans, I would have to vacuum those out every day, make sure that there was no black gunk clogging any of the stuff, and replace them the ammonia pads at least once a month to make sure that it was killing any of the other germs that might be in the system. And uh, CH2O, which is a chemical company in Tumwater, uh, provided a lot of the um, pesticides, quote-unquote, but mostly it's water treatment nutrients, essentially, okay. that is for cleaning the pipes. Right. So HVAC systems use condensation in the water to recycle all of that and can output cold air. Okay. So when you're outputting cold air, you're creating condensation, which then gets recycled back through the lines and goes out to these giant water towers that, I mean, they had to be bigger than the Seahawks stadium signs. And there was three right. of them. I mean, huge. Just filled with water? Just filled with oh, water. Shit. And they were so big that I could walk inside of them, which is unheard of and go up to the second level because these things were so big. Fuck, that's yeah. Big. Oh yeah. And if those shut down, we had a real problem. Right. And that's why we had three of them is if one failed, you needed at least two running at all times to not only keep all the HVAC in check, but to keep the water pumping through the lines and that it's all circulating constantly in order to avoid growth because growth will come when there's stagnancy, when there's stagnancy right. in the water. So, after busting my ass and cleaning, you know, probably 
12 or 13 different units a day uh, and replacing light bulbs. And and was this as the assistant? Yeah, okay. this was as the assistant. So, and I would help from time to time when they right. needed me to help on the lines because I had done everything in the facility. Right. Other than the H- HR process, I had done everything in the facility and setting it up. And basically I worked there for another six months or so when they finally gave me my pay raise. And I got to tell you about this Christmas party. Okay. This is, this is going to be a highlight of the show right here. Okay. So do you remember Alpine experience at all by chance in downtown Olympia? No, it was this huge ski shop that okay. was so big that had two sides to the building and you would just walk through it and it was kind of like a Cabela's, but for skiing. Okay. And REI. Just skiing. Yeah. And, uh, we rented out that whole facility for the Christmas party because okay. it, Alpine experience went under. We had the fire department show up because we set off the smoke alarms in the next building from us because there was so much cannabis smoke in the air. It was fucking out of control. Shit. And it was probably the craziest thing I'd ever seen. They had, um, you know, like Chipotle catering. Uh, You know, there was just couches everywhere because there was Santa Clauses handing out joints and weed to people (laughs) and just... Anything you could take. I would love to get a joint from and Santa. When, yeah, when the fire department showed up, they're like, do you have a permit to be here? And we're like, yep. And they're like, and this is for a cannabis thing? Dude, I bet they probably even got near the building and it smelled like cannabis. But walking in, when they opened up the doors, we had hotboxed the entire fucking building. I mean, the entire you building. should have had Santa Claus hand them the permit. Well, and I think he did because he was one of the guys out there. But um, And he was one of the figureheads there. Um, I think I actually have his business card. Let me see if I can pull it out. Yeah, no worries. Um, so you guys are smoking tough at this. Are they providing? I mean, I'm sure they're probably providing the Oh, uh, they were. Is um, it like uh, bud tenders and... Um, oh, okay. And flip over the back of the card, too. I mean, that oh, logo shit. right there I, was yeah, enough I to get... Any, like you had a hat or something, I think. Yeah, I and t-shirts and swag. And I actually got to work the first hemp fest I worked, which was in the first three months of me working there. I was like, dude, I want swag. I want to be able to do it. And I was so busy selling at hemp fest to try and get people to buy our product that people would buy our merchandise and know nothing about our company just because the logo was so right. damn cool. And that's why, it's you know, flashy, when you're one of the yeah. first, first people in the game, I mean, this is an old ass business card now, but when they're handed to you, they're nice and crisp. I mean, it might right. as well be a credit card. Right. And, and cause it was, it was that printing out. It was flashes. It was, yeah, the, it's a gold leaf with a gold, emblem around it encapsulating it and black cards and black merchandise and dude black and gold is i mean there's a wiz khalifa song about that hey, black and i'm yellow. a boston bruins fan yeah black and gold there we go absolutely and it sells because essentially when you have the corner of the market you are printing money right i mean they are i mean for the first two years you're going to be spent at any facility being in the red because the amount of money that you're producing before the plants start selling right. is always going to put you in the hole but when I, when we finally came time for our first time for harvest and I was so excited about this because we had three drying rooms for racks that we would just clip all the bud off, you know, essentially leave most of it on the stem because the nutrients when the bud will really grow and accelerate is when you clip off the stems and you leave them on there, the bud will continue to suck the nutrients out of the stem and it will really start to grow big. And that's where you're going to really, I mean, you see the trichome productions when they're growing, but you see the bud and the weight grow mm. when it starts to dry. Now, obviously 
upside down hanging is by far the best method and that's why you'll usually see them hanging right with their stem upside down in, in most small grow houses but in the big ones i mean we just had trays where we just threw everything on there and just kept the rooms incredibly dry i mean they were so dry that you would walk in and you would need to drink water because it was so dehumidified essentially oh, you just keep dehumidifiers yeah yeah and when we were finally harvesting each room each room would basically take up all three drying rooms a bud yeah Damn. so by the time that we had even got down to them to break down the bud it was almost easier for them to take the bud with the stems still on them that were pretty much dry and crusty over to the processing plant in tum water right so they could start to break them down and do the construction there but okay. i mean you're talking those big costco black and yellow tubs probably eight or nine of them Shit. per drying room full of bud yeah i mean you're talking you're talking pounds like bags that are six to seven pounds worth of weed which is a lot of fucking bud right and uh especially when you're selling it at three and a half grams at your biggest point dude you're making so much money i mean each person will pay twenty dollars for three and a half grams god i i want to do a calculator here because it's just fucking stupid sorry no that's fine um Actually, I'm I'm just gonna skip it. But go ahead. No, I when I would go to the the weed shops in California, they were medical because you had to have your medical card. So, mm-hmm. um, I'll tell the story about. Can I tell a quick story Dude, about how I got my weed card? I, I want to hear more about your experience with it. So it was a pretty much a joke. Um, I'm, I mean, I don't even remember where I went, but I had gone. A roommate of mine was like, "I'll pay for you to get get a weed card." Um, you know as long as you just go get it because i'm going to grow some some flour i just don't want to make sure everybody's cool in the house and make sure nobody gets in trouble so i'll pay for you to get your weed card i was like cool it takes me to go in there he's like all right i'm gonna drop you off and then it should take you like 20 30 minutes i'm gonna go and i would be back so i go in i walk in i go up to the guy and he's like an armenian guy or something and he's got an accent like eastern european accent and he has me fill out some paperwork I fill it out. It's asked me what's wrong. You know, I said I have back pain, whatever, whatever, insomnia. Mm. Um, he walks to the back, comes back up front and goes, so, you know, I'm sorry. I don't want to waste your time. Um, the doctor's not here, so I'm just going to go ahead and give it to you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he just wrote it out, handed it to me. Mm. And then I had a medical card. So that's how I got my medical card. Damn. Um, but the reason I was talking about that is I w- went to a place one time and they I, they had opened the back and somebody was walking through with like just garbage bags full of bud and yeah. they were bringing in some type of load or something like that. So mm. I can only imagine what you were working with. No. And, and yeah, I mean, they were basically burlap sacks that were as tall as a person and about as wide as a person full of bud. And there was like six of them that they would bring in for us to weigh when we were on the line and they would separate them out into the buckets after they broke all the stem stuff off of it. And by the time you were sifting it, you were sifting it through there and you would essentially get this big ass tub, essentially like probably like those little tiny plastic blue lid tubs Mm -hmm. that you see and just filled full of bud. And you're just immediately trying to pick out the biggest buds to weigh the three and a half grams because it was a little bit easier. It was like four big nugs would essentially equal three and a half grams. Right. And when you get down to two grams, you were probably like five smaller ones, um, but that were kind of nice. And the single grams were just, I mean, almost shake. I mean, they're right. just little tips of trichomes and stuff. And the, this, honestly, the, 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 the one gram bags, I think you're going to get the most THC for your money, but the best bang for your buck is always going to be the eighth. Mm. Um, 
That's the, usually what I get. Yeah. Well, and the people that want to spend $60, $120 on, on the half ounces or whatever you want to call them, um, that all of that stuff is just crap. Well, I like to smoke different shit anyway. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, I think that's a, that's a huge factor is that you should try out different weeds. In fact, my favorite strain that they produced there was Sunset Blue. Mm. Now everybody hated Sunset Blue except for my, my buddy and I, and, uh, it was, it was a weed that if I had to describe it, smelled like mayonnaise and oranges. Right. I mean, it's, that it's buds. So it's gonna skip. Yeah, no, exactly. It's stinky, but. I was the, trying to picture as it maybe, but no. It was basically an indica strain that had been so reprogrammed and regrown and crossbred with sativas that it was essentially the purest sativa that I'd ever have. And even to this day, I would still go for it, even though I know that Northwest Cannabis's bud was kind of shit compared right. to people like Hank's Dank, who. Oh. And that's where I wanted to talk about the smaller production companies, people that are looking to get into this industry and start in it. If you are going to start a smaller business where you're only harvesting maybe two times a year, like Hank, who takes really good care of his people, much better pay, better benefits, but they only work for three months out of the year, maybe, in the processing period. Because the rest of the time, you know, a single person could probably monitor plants while they're growing. And then you hire 12 people instantly for three months, provide them insurance, pay them a reason, like a livable wage, like 15 bucks an hour, essentially, which is basically, you know, again, still minimum wage for what they're pushing federally. Your, your output and your quality will be so much better that it will just fly off the shelves. And every time I go to Bud Commander and Tumwater, I always check because they're the only one that carries Hank's Dank. And the, by the time that I go in and, and they get it on the very first day, two weeks later, it's all gone. Yeah. Because there is there is a I have difference. To check it out, Hank's Dank. Oh yeah, and it comes in a little. Like, I feel like I've smoked that before. It's in a little jar, and uh, it's a hexagonal jar that has a gold lid. Okay. And it's got like a nice little gold string on it. It's even got Hank's little tiny signature like um, tag on it, and it, the quality of it. I mean, he doesn't do a lot of crazy strains. He just does like super lemon haze and very basic strains, um, but those four strains are such better quality that any of the wildest strains with whatever wildest production of THC content that you can find in it will always outweigh. And that's where quality versus quantity comes in. But when you're producing enough weed for the state of Washington at the level that Northwest cannabis was doing it, you could not beat the quality for the amount that they were producing hand over fist. I feel like weed at some point is going to become like, like when you go to, have you ever been to like Napa or Sonoma, like wine country. Yeah. In fact, they actually had an outdoor growing plant in Napa Valley. Do they? Yeah. I feel because it's, there's so many different, you're going to have weed, like weed sommeliers Mm -hmm. or yeah. Like weed sommeliers. Do they? Yeah. They, they actually, Uh, there's a, I should have, I think there was an episode of of fuck that that was delicious that, um, they actually had a weed sommelier over at, um, the guy who wrote, uh, uh, fear of loathing in Las Vegas. What was his oh, name? Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. They had one at his house and essentially all the food, all the wine, all anything you would eat weed. was uh, actually I mean, made with cannabis in it and they would pair joints with it. That's so, my goal for this podcast to oh. become just, that's all I, that's all I ask in life is to have a weed sommelier, yeah. you know, well, my and, own personal. And I think that people that are in the States where recreational is legal you will find people that will always strive for quality because quality will always outweigh quantity in the sense that right. if you're a buyer, 
you always want a better quality over quantity. And I think that's the same for alcohol. I mean, that's the same for, you yeah. know, strip clubs. I mean, you know, you're talking about vices. And when it comes down to what Northwest Cannabis Solutions was doing, I had no problem with the way that they were, with the product that they were selling. But the way that they were doing it, even though it was kind of fun, was always you know, essentially prison labor in right. my extent. So when it's it came, cool you can throw shade on this podcast. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and, and that was the thing too, is, is like, um, I finally got to a point where I was so depressed working there that when they finally brought me in for my raise, you know, I'd been there for a year. I was one of the highest working members at the company as a whole. I mean, in the company, there was like very few people that were over me other than the investors and the people that were originally set up the company. It came time for my pay raise Hi, Dex. Um, and when it came time for the pay raise, you know, Vasily brought me into his office and he's like, you've been here for, you know, a year and a half now and you never got your pay raise that you're supposed to get in a year. And I was like, yeah, I never got my card with all the signatures of everybody that they would have sign around for being there for a birthday for a year. They would just, you know, have a card signed for you. I never got that either. And, you know, I was, I was kind of depressed, but at the same time I was like, dude, I'm, I'm like one of the coolest people in this industry right now. I'm having a great time. I've right. learned so much information. I mean, it was just, I, I was writing down two or three pages of a binder worth of notes from Rob every day, learning everything from climate control to uh, the weight, the little type of lights that you want to use, how many lumens you're supposed to get. I mean, everything that when it was time for a pay raise, I was expecting, you know, a couple bucks and you know, right. throw, throw me a bone here. And they gave me 50 cents and I looked at him and I was like, cool i was there for about two more months and i was like fuck this i'm right. done i'm done i mean i couldn't even i was driving out from olympia to elma every day in the morning at like 4 30 in the morning to be there early so right, that i could do all my rounds and stuff and then i was on call on the weekends always yeah i mean you think of like a weed as a dream job and then and then you realize that the industry the way that they had it resonated with those big production companies is it killed that dream right and so when it comes down to people wanting to do this at home, I am absolutely for it because, I mean, if you could, people distill their own alcohol at home. Right. I mean, technically it's bootlegging, but at the same time, what are you going to do to stop them? If they're not selling it, it's not a, not right. a crime. You know, there's no harm, no foul. Um, and if you want to have a couple plants, I mean, honestly, if, I think for legal, for recreational in the state, you can have eight plants in your house, I believe is the law. Uh, 16 if you get a medical card um if you have eight plants that you're able to harvest at a relatively the same time or two at a time two at a time two at a time two at a time which would be ideal um so that you can keep the cycle and flow going you would have probably you know assuming that you did it well enough bud for an entire year and yeah. for all of your friends Right. That would save me a lot of money just oh, by doing that for sure. Absolutely. But then again, the trade off is the overhead. Right. How much are you spending on electricity? electricity? How much are you spending on water? How much are you spending on Plus time? Nutrients, feeds, buckets, yeah. everything. It it is it is it is a big it investment. It is really convenient to go to those stores though. But yeah, exactly. Why would you want to do it when you can just pay twenty bucks every week to go down the street buy right. an eighth? You're golden. It's not shady anymore. You just go in, you know. Yeah. And I used to get in and get out. I was always sketched out that like the door was just going to get kicked in as soon as I finished my transaction. But yeah. um, well, now it, I'm less sketched out about it. Yeah. And I think the first time that 420, 420 West actually had the DEA come and kick in their doors, the people that were in there were actually all like 50 plus. There was, right. there was a bunch of old people in there. Right. You know, people that are using cannabis as a, 
as a replacement for, you know, um, you, you know, hydrocodone and stuff right. like that, that they get these on these pill regimens from these pharmacists and these doctors and all of that stuff is just so poisonous for you. Yeah. When you can have something organic you, that you can go down the street and buy and it's for the most part like 99% safe and it, you feel a so much better and the right. amount that you can, can do, you can actually control it yourself. So for people that are always, you know, so anti-cannabis, the first thing that I would have you do is stop using the word marijuana because that is such a derogatory term to right. the actual plant itself. The cannabis plant has so many more benefits than it does withdraws or backdraws. Right. Am I annoyed that the entire state of Washington smells like weed everywhere you go all the time? Maybe a little. It, it is kind of nice to just be driving down the highway and you just get a blast of weed from yeah. like nowhere. You're like, wait, did I just smoke weed and Dude, not remember it? You drive by that old Highway 99 exit as you're going on your way to Centralia, and that's where the farm is. That's where Northwest Cannabis Solution is. And every time you drive by there, you can just get a big old rip of oh, it. I love it. It'll never do anything to you because it's just air. <laughs> right. you know, they're just releasing it through the water, water, the giant water coolers right. on the outside. Um, but, but yeah, and at the same time, you know. In, in the states where they actually have legalized recreational cannabis, drunk driving has gone down in the sense that DUI convictions for people that actually have alcohol in their system has gone way down. Has it stopped DUI convictions explicitly? No, because right. if you have smoked weed and you drive, that's still illegal. And to an extent, I believe that's true, but there's a really hard way to regulate it. But, you know, if you're at your friend's house for two hours after you're done and you're like, dude, I'm good to go drink a cup of water eat something get in your car and drive right you're gonna be fine you yeah. may drive a little bit slower at worst case scenario but when you can control the amount that you're consuming better than you can alcohol right that should be a sign to not only congressmen but people everywhere that this is a treasure that the government is hidden from us through false advertising yeah. essentially i just saw um in the store the other day just in the regular pharmacy they had cbd mm. um and for a while that was the, it was illegal to get have just regular cbd right mm -hmm. so I, I don't know what they were selling at the pharmacy but it said cbd so mm -hmm. i was kind of shocked at that well and when it comes to the separation between cbd and thc cbd is entirely legal and or in most places it is and there is no uh psychoactive right production from it the psychoactive is the thc the tetral hydro can't can't I can't remember what the actual term of it is, but the the CBD ointments I know tons of people use it. In fact, yeah. I remember we snuck up weed cookie to Montana to my ninety year old grandmother who had never used cannabis in her entire life, who had had ten back surgeries. She was ninety years old. Right. You know, her, both of her husbands had died before she had died, and she's still alive to this day. She's like ninety five. She's still kicking. Everybody was a, the, this is like the worst case scenario for this poor old woman. She's 90 years older. She's sitting down on the couch. She can barely move. You know, she has to have her entire family around her while she's right. doing this. Nobody else is joining her. Oh, I was going to say at least have to join her. Yeah. No, nobody no. joined her. Yeah. Uh, okay. Problem number one right there. Problem number two, they gave her a 10 milligram cookie, which is fine. Right. You know, that's, you know, one dosage essentially is 10 milligrams. But this lady is 90 years old. She's never used cannabis in her life which and I think it takes like two or three times of use in order to actually start feeling the effects. It was the same for my girlfriend and she had never used it before, but this second or third time she used it, she finally felt it and she's like, Holy shit. Right. You know, life changing. And she was sitting there on the couch and 
She was like, I thought I was going, her hearing aid died in the middle of it. So she thought she was going deaf when she, when she, oh, ate shit. It. but no, it was her hearing aid that died. And she was like, I think I'm kind of hungry now. And finally ate more than she'd eaten in a long time. Yeah. That's what it's really good for too. And her pain management, I can't even imagine after 10 back surgeries, right. being 90 years old, what it must be like to get around. Right. And and everybody's just sitting in the room staring at her. Are you high yet? Are you high yet? Are you high yet? <laughs> That's like, not what you want to do. Yeah, and me and my brother are. are just sitting there because nobody else knew that we smoked weed at the time. Oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, my God. And my brother and I are just looking at each other like this poor old woman. She's just getting... Like, sorry, bro. <laughs> like, I'd be there with you if I could, but... Yeah. And so, um, no, as far as um, my experience in the industry, I learned so much that I would love to be able to share on this podcast some more. Uh, any yeah. other questions that you have for me in the future too. Definitely come on. Um, I wanted to ask you before, um, are you running out of time? Yeah, unfortunately. Um, have you seen uh, the documentary on Netflix, Murder Mountain? Murder about, Mountain? Uh, Humboldt County oh, and... Dude, okay. I kind of got to break into you right here. Okay. They were going to send me to Humboldt County because they were opening up another farm there. Oh, shit. And I saw, I think, maybe not a couple episodes, but I heard about what was going on there. And they have guys on ATVs with shotguns yeah. getting the cops to the facility because the amount of Wild West theft that yeah, goes on in California. Like lawless oh, dude, it's, a it's a lawless country. It's I mean, pretty crazy. It, it might, it might, it's a good documentary well. if you haven't seen it. Check no, it out. I'm definitely yeah. going to check it out now. But, yeah. dude, I'm so glad that I got out of it when I did because otherwise they would have sent me to Humboldt County and I would have been managing another farm down there. Yeah, you might have ended up missing in the mountain. Oh, dude. Uh, any day especially with the amount of knowledge that i have now right. i would i would be you know like the end of breaking bad jesse right. just sitting in the fucking hole chained up for my Waiting life for growing Walter. yeah just just trying growing weed all day long oh, God. all right do you have anything that you want to plug i mean i don't have many listeners but if you have anything that you want to plug or anything like that uh, not not specifically this time i'm sure i will in the future but if yeah. you have any more questions for me before i go or like is there anything that's been, you know, kind of, you have any questions about the industry or, you know? Um, I just kind of wanted to hear, I mean, I knew that you had worked in the weed industry and um, I just kind of wanted to see like the inside scoop, I guess. I yeah. mean, see if you had any good, like, good stories about it and you did, you came through in the clutch. So. <laughs> I mean, if you want, if you have any like, like last crazy story that you want to finish on, you can oh, you're God, more than welcome to. I'm I don't want to hold you up though. Yeah, no. And this is probably going to this is going to come back to haunt me one day, but I got to tell you when I was, you know, a couple months in and we had been there, I remember hitting my vape pen when I got to work, you know, uh, the, the, the THC pen a couple of times. Then I go in and we just had our headphones in all day, just jamming to music and tunes, having the wild ass conversations. I mean, I was having conversations about the fourth and fifth dimension that were blowing people's minds, <laughs> just sitting there at the table that everybody was just kind of like shocked. They were like dumbfounded. But when you had an environment like that, that was so friendly and nurturing to all these people, I think it was is more than, you know, an individual therapy. It was group therapy, which right. I think is far more helpful for a lot of people, especially in these situations that they're trying to turn their life around. They're trying to get started. You know, me, I was, I was broke as hell, but it was a job and it was a daily job that I got after 2 p.m. I could enjoy the rest of my day. I right. got a bunch of free weed. Yeah, that's what that was, you know, I was when say. you're when you're a youth, it's such a great opportunity. And when you're older, you know, you're retired. It's such a great opportunity. Right. But um, in, take a look at the company that you're going to work for beforehand to right. kind of imagine what kind of styles it will be. Because, again, as much fun as I had with it, if you have the knowledge to be able to grow on your own, it will always outweigh doing your own personal work 
an investment in time to get your own product right then it will be ever working under some giant conglomerates thumb and i think that's just the reality we all live in day to day um i have one final question if you don't mind yeah, so absolutely. the last the last show i did was with a buddy of mine he's re- into real estate and stuff so mm-hmm. we had uh, towards the end of the show we got into a little bit of like because he's in massachusetts so we recorded in massachusetts when i was back there on vacation um and he was talking a little bit about how it's hard for you know regular people to get into um the weed industry basically if they wanted to start up their own dispensary just the, the hoops and shit that they have to yeah. go through so i don't know if you had an insight on there's, there's a lot of paperwork and there's a lot of permits that you have to do and involved but um a first thing i would recommend doing is don't be in a major county be in a little tiny county out in mm. the middle of nowhere that doesn't require a lot of permits and a lot of hoops to jump through. Um, a reason it was so easy for us to set up seven point and Elma is they were just so glad that there was a giant money making business that was going to show up. Right. You know, you're talking in counties where there's a high density population. You want to be out in the country somewhere because the amount of hoops that you're going to have to jump through is so much less. The second thing too is, you know, if you are going to have a farm on your own house or own property, or if you are going to buy a piece of property to start your own farm on, which I would highly recommend, you got to have the access to amenities and stuff that are going to be there. And I got, we had Capital Electric, we had Sunset Air, we had three different companies that were constantly sending people there working on shit all right. the time, all the time. So if you have electrician friends, if, if you have an electrician friend, you have a plumber friend, and you got somebody that works for the county that can help you get things started. Dude, I watched them sign the paperwork on the building and the guy who was the mayor, I, I don't know if he was the mayor of Elma, but uh, I think he was a port commissioner or something like that. And he just had the biggest, fattest grin and he was like, Rrr. like, I mean, he was excited about it too, because right. in the end, he's probably getting paid off. The people that are in the system are getting paid off and the government's taking 30% overhead, right? not only on just the tax part of what the product that you're selling, but in whatever that you get net wise, um, the, the producers of cannabis get about 4% in the state of Washington. The sellers get about two and the oh, state shit. gets 30%. Yeah. So when it comes down to laws, make sure that if you're going to, if you're going to make recreational cannabis in your state legal, make sure that the law that you're signing isn't as fucked up as Washington state. And that's mm. why Colorado and California right. have been making it big is because they have, they have a lot, they know that there's a lot of money coming out right. of it, but they made the law better in the sense that the state isn't just fucking them in the ass for it. Right. And, and reality is, is the same with the, you know, the, the alcohol, when they finally made alcohol sellable in Washington state at basically any store, you know, it, it went up 30%. Right. Because paid, that was a tax on it. Hell tax on yeah. alcohol. Yeah. yeah. And so everything, the cost of everything will go up and, you know, make sure that your legislation is in order. And if you know what the legislation is, you know what the laws are. Um, you can always find a way. And if anybody has any questions, I'm sure they can feel free to contact you uh, to get a hold of me. And yeah. I, can, I can always feel free to help Itty them out. Itty You can email. Um, there's Instagram. I go over all that stuff on the outro. So mm. I'll, we'll go, I'll do that after. You don't have to yeah. do that. But um, no, they were supposed to do a, a, like a distribution center um, downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're in Shelton where I, where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, um, the, the mayor, I think or something didn't want to do it because he said that he didn't want the smell. Yeah. And so it never went through. I think there's something in there now, but that was pretty silly. Yeah. Well, so. and again, it's, you know, 
was it in the city or was it on the outside of the no, city? No, it's like that. You'll pass it on your way out. It's like that, like logging, mm-hmm. old logging thing. Like I think Sierra Pacific out there yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. But yeah, we'll have to do this again, and uh, we'll oh, talk more Thank you for about me weed on. and shit. But um, I'll do the intro and shit. But Cole, thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Peace. So that's another week of the Itty Bitty Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. And as always, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, Itty Bitty Podcasts, or on Twitter at Itty Bitty PCast. You can check us out on the website, ittybittypodcast.com. Um, and yeah, we'll be back next week with another interesting topic to talk about. And I'll see you bitches later. Peace.